Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved media. My name is Thomas Clark, and this is Batman 1966. Today, we will be discussing Batman... Return of the Caped Crusaders. Uh, This is the first of two animated revival films. Uh, It came out back in 2016, so almost two years ago now. And, man, I remember when this movie came out. When it was announced that this would be a thing. It was a huge deal. Everyone with any form of appreciation for 1960s Batman was freaking out. This was the return of Adam West and Burt Ward to the roles of Batman and Robin. Julie Newmar was returning as Catwoman. The remaining surviving cast members of that show were all returning for this Big animated revival film. It's going to be a return to the old days. uh, The glory days of Batman. A break from the doom and gloom of modern day incarnations of that character. As good as that incarnation is. It was a nice change of pace to kind of go back to that. And it was very, very exciting. There was a ton of buzz around this movie. So much so that... Even though this was direct-to-VOD, it did manage to get a one-day theatrical theatrical release via Fathom Events. That's where I saw this movie originally, all the way back in 2016. And I remember walking out of the theater when it was over... Being very pleasantly surprised that in a year where we got a Batman v Superman film and a Killing Joke film, two of the most anticipated Batman incarnations ever, two of the most anticipated Batman films of the decade. I remember being pleasantly surprised in a year where those two films existed. That this was the best Batman movie of 2016. The long-awaited, big-screen team-up of the two most iconic superheroes ever? Mediocre at best. The film adaptation of one of the most celebrated graphic novels in history? It's fine. Whatever. Who cares? Return of the Cape Crusaders, undisputed masterpiece. That's the best Batman movie of 2016. It was so shocking to me. It was so 
unexpected. This movie kind of just came out of nowhere. And everyone who saw it, even though it was not a lot of people, unfortunately, fell in love with it immediately. And for good reason. This movie is really, really good. I like it a lot. Honestly, I think today was the first time I watched it since it came out in that one day theatrical release. It's better than I remember it. It's legitimately better now than I thought it was back then. And maybe that's because I literally just finished watching the series, so the series is fresh in my mind. Maybe it's because it's just aged super well. I don't know. I just know that I really, really like this movie. It's so freaking good. Uh, the animation is really phenomenal. This is a very beautiful looking film. Just like all DC animated films. If you haven't watched uh, the DC animated film Slate, uh, the several VOD <laughs> releases per year that WB Animation does for DC properties, most of them are really, really good. And they're all beautifully animated, just like this movie. Like, it looks really, really good. And the voice acting's phenomenal. Both Adam West and Burt Ward nail it in their respective roles. Like, it, it was like, what? 50 years? 60 years between then and now? 50 years. It was 50 years between the series' end and this movie. They sink back into those roles as if no time has passed. They do a remarkable, remarkable job. And Julie Newmar, of course, as Catwoman, was really, really fantastic. I'm so glad she agreed to return here as well. She also sank back into the role of Catwoman as if no time had passed. And it was great. And all of the... Okay, I'm going to use a very reductive term to describe this, but for the sake of the ongoing discussion of this series, I have to. The imitators of the unfortunately deceased members of this cast, uh, uh, whoever played the Joker, Cesar Romero's stand-in, uh, the Burgess Meredith stand-in for Penguin, the Frank Gorshin stand-in for Riddler, everyone, everyone who had to step in and fill the roles of those legends who have long since passed. They were all really, really good. They all did an amazing job of capturing the essence of the actors who came before. You can tell every single one of them, save for maybe one or two less important ones, you can tell that every single one of them spent a lot of time studying their predecessors' performances and really cultivating them into their own thing. And they all really went out of their way to honor what they did, preserve their legacy, perverse, preserve their incarnations of those characters that they created. They all did a very, very good job. If you had told me that, 
Oh, Cesar Romero played the Joker in this. Burgess Meredith played the Penguin in this. Uh, Frank Gorshin played the Riddler in this. They were all still alive and able to do this movie. I'd probably believe you. If I didn't know they all had passed, and you told me they all showed up in this movie, I would probably believe you. And that really is a testament to how great these voice actors are. And I'm a terrible person for not remembering any of their names. I'm so sorry. But they really are worthy of all the praise in the world. They're brilliant, brilliant voice actors. And generally, like, this film perfectly recaptures everything that made the 1960s series what it was. Everything that made it stand out. Everything that made it great. Everything that made it such an entertaining watch. Uh, The self-aware absurdity of it all. The random PSAs. The -the over-the-top death traps. The opening sequence of... Oh, look, here's the thing that's happened. Oh, the bat phone's ringing. To the bat poles, to the batmobile. All of that. Literally every single thing. Every single identifying marker of the 1960s series is present in this film. They very lovingly recreated the ma- the major flourishes of that show. Like, look at the jaywalking PSA alone. Look at the TV dinner death trap, which I adore. Like, all of this stuff. So, so perfectly recreated. And there's a lot of smarter... uh, Smarter. There's a lot of smaller stuff as well. I can't use words today. Of the ridiculous riddles. Commissioner Gordon constantly kissing Batman's ass. Like, pretty much everything. Pretty much everything you identify with the 60s series is present in this film. You can tell the people who made this movie and Batman vs. Two-Face after it. We'll get to that tomorrow. You can tell the people who made this film really did respect, really were fans of the 1960s series and were committed to bringing it back as completely as possible. And the result is this just tidal wave of nostalgia that is so perfect, so absolutely amazing to witness. Just in that regard alone, this film is extraordinary, let alone its own creative merits, and as far as the plot itself goes, it legitimately feels like an actual Batman 60s arc. Like, this is a case of, here is a story, here is a narrative constructed, that if in the 60s they were given the time and the budget to complete it, they would have. Everything in this film, I have no doubt, would have showed up eventually in the series had they had more time and had they had more of a budget. Everything. All of it. And I also find it very curious, I find it very interesting, that they decided to use the big four villains of Joker, Penguin, Riddler, and Catwoman. 
as the main villains of this film. And yes, I'm sure there's at least one person getting ready to call in saying, well, no, it's it's obvious. Those are the big four of the series. Those are the four that everyone loves. Of course, they'll use them in this film. And yes, I know that. It is obvious in that sense, but I think there's also a more underlying... A more underlying intent there that is less obvious. I kind of feel like... I kind of feel like they also embarked in making this movie... In making a direct sequel to Batman the movie. I would not be surprised... If the makers of this film... Just sat down and decided, hey... Batman the 60s series is real good. Batman the movie's great. Let's make a direct sequel to Batman the movie within the 60s world. It it does feel like that. It really, really does with their choice of villains. It's a remarkable thing. And maybe I'm reading way too much into that. But if that was the intent, and I'm not an idiot, then... That is a truly remarkable conceit. That is truly remarkable intent that they put in there. I also freaking love the multiple MacGuffins of the replica ray and the batnip that makes Batman all crazy. More on that later. Like those two. Uh, Again. And... The conceit of Batman going evil because of some drug. Not exactly original for this film. It's been done before multiple times in the series, but you get into this film, they dial that up to 11. They really, really do. It's that conceit on steroids. And you know that if they had the time and the budget to replicate that, if they had the time and the budget to do it on that scale in the 60s, they would have. And the replica ray, just this magical gun that duplicates stuff. It's it's a really, really great MacGuffin. And again, if they had the time, if they had the budget to include something like that, you know they would have. It's so, so good. I also need to talk about Batman in space. (laughs) Batman in space. If they could have sent Batman into space, they absolutely would have. I know this is starting to sound repetitive, but it, it really is true for every single aspect of this film. If they could have sent Batman into space in the 60s series, they absolutely would have. You know they would have. And everything about Batman going to space is magnificent. Uh, I especially love the deduction that Batman uses to come to the conclusion that all the villains are in space. They... Search all of Gotham and immediately assume they're not on this planet because they're not in Gotham. (laughs) God forbid they go to anywhere else on the planet. It's either they're in Gotham or they're not on Earth anymore. 
Sure. Why not? <laughs> it's so great. And then you have the Bat Rocket, which is awesome. I want to believe, I, I, I desperately want to believe that in the live action series, they just always had that and never used it. <laughs> I just want to believe that was always stashed to the side and they just never felt the need to break it out. But, oh my god, it was so great. I love the villain's plan to duplicate the Earth so there'll be a Gotham City for every major criminal. Oh, also, there's that whole portrayal of Catwoman, which... That happened. They literally were going to force her out the airlock. It's so brutal. And then Catwoman teams up with Batman and Robin to take down the rest of the villain. But <laughs> their plan is literally to duplicate the Earth. So there's a Gotham City for every criminal. Duplicate the entire Earth. Would it not be simpler to, you know, duplicate all the loot? So there'd be three times the loot, one piece of each loot for everyone, instead of, you know, duplicating a planet? Did they not think of the astronomical implications? That would just F up everything. All three Earths would launch into chaos. Oh my god, it's such a stupid plan, but lines up so perfectly with the original series. It's amazing. And then there's that freaking anti-grav fight, which by the way, that's another thing I forgot to mention. I didn't put it in my notes. Uh, the fights are lovingly recreated and are great. But then you have that anti-grav fight, which is exceptionally brilliant. Oh my god. God, that anti-gravity fight is amazing. It is absolutely incredible. I love it so much. And then they managed to capture Joker, Penguin, and Riddler after Batman goes exceptionally brutal on them, after Batman goes all Dark Knight on them. Literally breaks out brass knuckles and beats the shit out of them. Then you have this evil bla bat bat evil Batman plotline, where the Batnip was working very slowly. It turns out, and then Batman just slowly becomes evil. He kicks everyone out of Wayne Manor. He fires Alfred. That becomes important later. Uh, he just. Slams the door on Dick. Not Aunt Harriet, though. He never kicks out Aunt Harriet. He's just sort of mean to her. And that's it. But everyone gets kicked out of Wade Manor. Then, he fires the commissioner and the chief. And replaces them with clones of himself. Like, he literally turns the replica with Ray. On himself and creates an army of Batmen that take control of Gotham City. They replace the commissioner. They replace the chief. They replace the mayor. They replace the chef. For some reason. 
<laughs> and it's just a Gotham City of just only Batman clones. It's just an army of Batman clones all throughout the Gotham City. And again, if they could have done this, if they had the time and the budget to do this in that original series, you know they would have. They would not have been able to help themselves. But you have this army of Batman, and by the way, I kind of love how... <laughs> how Batman replaces the chief, puts on the chief's uniform, and then immediately, like, just the first word, and only word, I think, out of the mouth of Chief Batman was... Begora. <laughs> because <laughs> Chief O'Hara said that all the time, that Irish dude... <laughs> Literally the first and only word out of Chief Batman's mouth is Begora. It's great. It's hilarious. I love it. So good. <laughs> and then you have this whole really magnificent subplot of Robin teaming up with Catwoman to fight the evil Batman army. They go back to the Batcave. Batman and Robin have this utility belt showdown where they just they're they become pokemon trainers at this point pretty much they're just yelling out their attacks as they're doing them <laughs> bat knockout gas bat wake up gas <laughs> bat bomb bat shield <laughs> bat cuffs bat pick <laughs> like that literally happens and then you get this big Freaking death trap where they're gonna just lower them, lower Robin and Catwoman into a nuclear reactor, which again is brutal. And then you have this magnificent final showdown where Robin and Catwoman break out literally every single supervillain from Gotham Prison, except for Riddler, Penguin, and Joker, who disintegrate. They break them all out to fight the army of evil Batman, and it's great. And you have this amazing sequence. We're just kind of looking to point out every single secondary Batman villain they put up. Ooh, there's King Tut. Ooh, there's Egghead. Ooh, there's Bookworm. Ooh, there's Siren. Ooh, there's Louis the Lilac. Like, just on and on and on. Like, it's an Easter egg extravaganza quite literally because Egghead's quite literally throwing eggs ooh there's Mr. Freeze I forgot that Mr. Freeze was there like literally every single secondary 60's Batman villain is present at this moment and it's great Mad Hatter shows up for a bit like it's the it, Sandman shows up like it was Really, really phenomenal. And it's a great moment of just all the villains versus an army of Batman cl of Batman clones. It's, it's so great and so absurd. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. And then Alfred just, just fixes him right up. Just 
fixes him right up because apparently they have a long-standing arrangement where if Alfred ever got fired, it was clearly because he was under the influence of, of some drug and he had to cook up an antidote that would counter the bat anti-antidote that he took. So many questions. Okay. What if Alfred just kind of became a piece of shit and got fired for legitimate reasons? Would he then just assume that it was on some form of drug? Second, how did Batman not remember this when he became evil? Third, what? (laughs) It's so stupid. It's so great. Oh, God, I love it. Oh, it's so amazing. And then all the Batman clones disintegrate, conveniently. And Batman is just like, Wait a minute! This was all a major distraction! This was all part of Joker, Penguin, and Riddler's plan! To steal all the priceless... Valuables and irreplaceable artworks or whatever. Priceless treasures and irreplaceable artworks. This was all a plan to steal all the stuff. And they're going on this massive crime spree that no one noticed while there was an army of evil Batman rampaging throughout Gotham. It's so ridiculous. So then... You get this final big blimp fight, which is amazing. Just this fight on top of a blimp. All the criminals get, like, just punched off the blimp and fall to what should be their deaths, but isn't. And it's magnificent. You get this whole thing where Catwoman almost steals everything, but then she just sort of falls down. And gets away. It's extraordinary. I love that blimp thing so much. I will say. A couple of issues I do have with this film. Uh, the subplot of Aunt Harriet. Being suspicious of Bruce and Dick's real activities. Is stupid. They should not have put that in. It's dumb. It's bad. I hate it. But it's a minor part of this movie, so whatever. There's also, arbitrary nitpick, some timeline weirdness here. Like, when does this take place? When exactly does this film take place in the 60s Batman world? Because Batgirl's not present in this movie, even though she should be. Batgirl's not present in this film... And Aunt Harriet's there, which means you'd think it takes place maybe sometime between seasons two and three, or sometime in the seasons one and two era. But there's also some season three villains that show up, like Siren and Louis the Lilac. So... When is this? When is this in the timeline? Did Batgirl just kind of F off for a while? After season three happened? I I don't know. I'm just 
it's weird. It's really, really weird, and it's really confusing, but it's an arbitrary nitpick that I can just live with. It's fine. There are worse flaws for a film like this to have, and it has none of them. So, overall, I consider this a win. This is a really, really good movie. I love it so much. I can't wait to talk about the second one, because, oh my god, Batman vs. Two-Face is, I think, just as good. It's really, really phenomenal. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archive, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I will play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark. Pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Tomorrow we will be discussing Batman vs. Two-Face. Talk to you then.